0: I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater.
1: Faster than a speeding bullet.
2: More powerful than a
3: locomotive. Able to leak tall buildings at a single bound. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! <laughs>
1: Today, confident that he has lulled the suspicions of Superman and the police, John Mason issues mysterious instructions to his son, Ralph.
4: Now, take these two packages, Ralphie. Eh? <laughs> Be careful, don't drop them. What's in the packages, Dad? Never mind. The less you know, the better. Just put them where I tell you to,
1: and then. Yeah? Then what, Dad?
4: Well, I'll tell you this much, son Howard Jones and Bobby Lee won't compete in the playground championships tomorrow. In fact, I'll guarantee they won't ever compete in a track meet again. Is there a little death trap in your home? I'm not kidding. I mean that seriously. And before I'm through with what I have to tell you, the meaning of that startling question will be perfectly clear. The reason I ask that question, for which incidentally the answer is always yes, is that there are more accident hazards found in the average home than anywhere else. Statistics show that on an average, 88 men, women, and children are killed, and 360 are permanently maimed or disfigured, while 12,640 are variously injured or temporarily disabled. All as a result of accidents that happen in the home. That should demonstrate to you that home disasters, which account for half of the fearful toll of all accidents, are the most dreaded enemy to our well-being. And another appalling fact is that although some accidents are admittedly unavoidable, most of them can and should be prevented. What's more, in the majority of instances, the simple application of common sense could have prevented accidents that resulted in near death. Now, when you stop and think a bit about that, doesn't it make you wonder how it can be possible for terrible things to happen where you most expect to be safe in your home? And when you think a bit longer, you'll begin to realize that yesterday or last week or even today, you or someone in your house narrowly missed being hurt by something that happened in your home. Why a simple thing like a loose rug can take more lives and name more limbs than a military booby trap. You don't believe it? Well, stay with us, and in a little while, I'll tell you more.
2: (laughs)
1: And now, the adventures of Superman. Two bigoted brothers, John and George Mason, have been trying to prevent two boys, Howard Jones and Bobby Lee, from competing in public track meets. George Mason, the more fanatical of the brothers, made two attempts on the life of young Jones. And one attempt almost cost the life of cub reporter Jimmy Olson. But then John Mason, the cooler headed brother, took command, saying...
4: There's a way to take care of those kids without getting in trouble with the police. And I know how to do it. Just
1: leave it to me. As we continue now, it is the day before the city playground track and field championships. And we find Jimmy Olsen once more up and about with Clark Kent, who, unknown to Jimmy and all others, is Superman, at police headquarters, where they are talking with Sergeant Healy of the Homicide Squad. (laughs) Any news on the person who shot Jim yet, Sergeant? Nope, not yet, Kent. I'll well, bet Ralph Mason knows plenty about it. Yes, so do I. Oh, now, look, Kent, you saw Mr. Mason work on the kid, and you know that if Ralph knew anything, his father would have got it out of him. Well, uh, maybe. But
5: Ralph is definitely mixed up in this because I he... I
1: know, Jim, but the way I figure it, Ralph got some wrong ideas pumped into him by some of the tough kids around Grove Street. They put him up to threatening young Jones and Lee, and you too. Well, maybe. I still feel Ralph knows a lot more than he told us. I'm worried about tomorrow. Why? What's tomorrow? City Playground Championships. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jim, I uh, suppose you've entered Howard Jones and Bobby Lee for
5: Unity House, haven't you? I sure have, Mr. Kent. Howard's our best man, and Bobby's pretty good, too.
1: I was afraid of that. Afraid? Right. Why? Well, I'd feel a lot better if that trigger-happy fanatic who shot at Howard last week and hit Jim wasn't still loose. Oh,
5: you mean you think he might try something
1: again? Exactly. Oh. oh, golly. Oh, Kent, I told you. I put the fear of the law into that Grove Street bunch. Put it down there, will try anything like that again. Believe me, hope we get. it, I can't. Because for one thing, we don't know the fanatic is from Grove Street. I'm sure he is. Oh? Mason kid comes from Decent home. You saw that. He hangs around the Grove Street playground where some old look stupid ideas in his head. But I spread some other ideas around Grove Street about the law. Don't worry about tomorrow. I sure hope you're right, Sergeant. It's not enough for me. I know that a fanatic on the loose is as dangerous as a rattlesnake in a crowd. Well, I'm expecting more trouble, and I only hope I'm on the spot to meet it.
2: As I understand
4: it, Ralphie, all the boys who are entered in the playground championship tomorrow are practicing in the Metropolis Stadium this afternoon.
3: Is that right? Yeah, that's right, Dad. The championships are going to be in the stadium. We're working out there today to get to fill the track. I'm going out there now.
4: Do, uh... Do you suppose those two boys, uh, Jones and Lee, will be there this
3: afternoon? I guess so. You said you wanted me to compete tomorrow anyhow, didn't you? Oh yes, yes, of course, Ralphie. It's just that.
4: Uh, tell me, 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 are all of you given lockers at the stadium? Yeah, sure. Good. It shouldn't be too difficult to find out which lockers Jones and Lee have, should it?
3: No, no. I guess I could find out, on.. What do you want to know that for, Dad?
4: You see these two little packages, Ralphie? Yeah,
3: ma'am. I want
4: you to put one package in Jones' locker and one in Lee's, When nobody is looking at it. Why?
3: What's in those packages? Never mind.
4: All I'll tell you is that after those two boys open these packages, we won't have any more trouble with them. Ever. Well, gosh, what do you mean, Captain? I mean they won't compete in the championships tomorrow. Nor in any other contests around here again. Jeepers do you mean those... Those little packages are, are bombs. Don't be foolish, Ralphie.
3: Well, th- th- then, why? what? Don't are? ask
4: questions, son. The less you know, the better. Just place these packages in Jones and Lee's lockers, and uh, remember, don't let anyone see you.
6: Now, uh, take it and get going. <laughs>
5: Nice work Howard. How do you feel? Oh, fine, Jim. Not tired at all. a boy. You're a cinch to win the 220 and the brunch up for us tomorrow. I'll do my best.
3: But there's some pretty good boys in it in those
5: adventures. Oh, sure. But you'll show them the back of your neck, just like you did last week. Now go on in and take a shower, Howard. I'll see you later. Okay. Oh, uh, Jim. Yeah? Unless you can't find out who took that shot out of you Saturday, Jim. No, but Sergeant Healy is sure some Grove Street hoodlum did. He says he's put the fear of the law into that neighborhood, so... Well, we don't have to worry about anything happening again. I
3: right. Well,
2: I'm sure he is. Forget it, Howie.
3: Go get your shower. Okay, Jim. we be seeing you. Oh, boy, the shower coat. Go say, Howie, take a look at this. What is it? This thing here. I just found it in my
2: locker.
3: Holy smokes. No, it's not. You say you found it in your locker, Bobby? Yeah, it was wrapped in paper. What are you supposed to do? Wait a, a minute. minute. Hey, I think you got one, too. See that, that little package on the floor of your locker? Yeah. Wait till I open it. Listen, Holly. Wait, Bob. Oh, God. It is what like... I Look, who do you supposed to put these things in our locker? I don't know, but... I guess it's supposed to be a gag. I don't say anything funny about this, it. But... This isn't a gag, Bob. It is? So what's the matter with you, Pop? You look scared. I am. I'm plenty scared.
2: Why? These things are I know what
3: they are, and I know why they were left in our lockers. Sure, somebody's trying to kill Nobody's us. Nobody's trying to kid us, Bobby. This is a warning. A warning? That's right. We're being warned that if we run in the track meet tomorrow, we'll never
1: run again. Startled, young Bobby Lee stares at Howard Jones, then drops his frightened eyes to the open package in his hand.
3: Well... Well, what are we going to do? There's only one thing we can do, Bobby. Only one thing.
1: For a long moment, the two boys sit facing one another on the locker room bench. Then, rising slowly, Howard crosses to his locker and removes a pencil and a piece of paper from his jacket pocket. What has happened? What is in the two small packages John Mason instructed his son to place in their lockers? And now, back to the adventures of Superman. Only a few minutes after Howard Jones and Bobby Lee found two mysterious little packages in their lockers at the Metropolis Stadium, the telephone rings in the office of Clark Kent at the Daily Planet.
5: Hello. Mr.
2: Kent? Yes? This is Jim. Oh, hello, Jim. How are the workout's going? Never mind that. Look, can
1: you get out here to the stadium right away? Why, I guess so, but what's... Please, Mr. Kent, hurry. What's the matter, Jim? Is anything wrong? how?
5: Something terrible's happened.
1: Well, what? Tell me what happened. I can't
5: talk now. Just get out
1: here
3: as quick as you can. And please hurry, Mr. Kent. Hurry. Hurry. <laughs>
1: With Jimmy Olsen's desperate voice ringing in his ears, Clark Kent leaps to his feet and swiftly strips off his business suit to reveal the blue costume and red cape of Superman. Then, bounding across the office, he throws open the window.
2: Up, up, and away!
1: Leaping high into the afternoon sky, Superman streaks away, bound for the Metropolis Stadium. What will he find there? What has happened to young Howard Jones and Bobby Lee? Is it something that resulted from those mysterious packages sent to them by John Mason? Whatever you do, don't miss tomorrow's exciting episode, fellas and girls. Be sure to tune in tomorrow, same time, same station, for Chapter 6 of The Skin Game on The Adventures of Superman.
4: feature appearing in Superman DC Comics Magazine, and is brought to you Monday through Friday at the same time.
0: Behold my process. Ooh, me yeah, we do something right here, huh? It's the Loot Creek subscription box, yeah, with an exclusive loop on surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible
2: boxes, dude. Cowabunga! Through the Loot Gaming video game box.
0: Woohoo! the Loot Crate
2: box What's with kids
0: today? Uh- Rouses! With crates starting as large as a level 99 per month, Those are box just about for all collectors in. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media dot U-S forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, dig it?
1: Today, Superman, in his guise of Clark Kent, listens with amazement as sub reporter Jimmy Olsen, white faced and shaken with emotion, reveals a startling development in our story.
7: Oh, God, Mr. Kent, how Jones and Bobby leave it? They. Well, what is it, Jim? What about them? They're gone. Gone? What do you mean? They're gone, I tell you, and, and I don't think we'll ever see them again.
1: Dang, most of you know the story of the Alamo. That famous battle fought for Texan independence. You see, Texas wasn't always part of the United States. It was originally a territory belonging to Mexico, although many Americans settled there. When these settlers decided they wanted Texas to be free of Mexican rule and part of the United States, they had to fight a hard and bloody war for independence. The Alamo was one of the most famous battles. There, General Santa Ana, commander-in-chief of the Mexican army, attacked a few hundred gallant Texans and them. That terrible massacre made General Santa Anna's name one of the most hated in Texas, And
7: everyone waited for the day Santa Anna would be captured. As it happened, his capture was one of the most fantastic episodes in Texan history. For one man, single-handedly, captured this commander-in-chief of all the Mexican forces. That man was Major Leon Dyer. Leon Dyer was originally
1: from Maryland. What was he doing in Texas? Well, his father had come over to America because he loved liberty. And he brought up young Leon to America, too because it was a country where people of Jewish faith, like the Dyers, lived together and worked together with true Americans with Catholics and Protestants. When young Dyer heard of the Alamo, he felt he must get in this fight for freedom. So he headed west and became one of the most famous heroes in Texan history. At the end of this program, we'll tell you the thrilling story of Leon Dyer's single-handed capture of General Santa Ana. So be sure to keep listening. <laughs> And now, the adventures of Superman. A pair of bigoted brothers named John and George Mason are determined to prevent Howard Jones and Bobby Lee, two Unity House boys, from competing in public athletic contests. George, the fanatical brother, actually shot at one of the boys and almost killed cub reporter Jimmy Olsen. Then on the day before the city played some Championship, John Mason had his son Ralph place two small packages in the lockers belonging to Howard and Bobby. When Howard saw them, he became panic stricken and told Bobby they were in serious trouble. A short time later, Clark Kent, who is Superman, received an excited phone call from Cub reporter Jimmy Olsen, manager of the Unity House track team, who begged Kent to come to the Metropolis Stadium at once because something had occurred. As Superman kept tricks to the stadium, now having secretly resumed his disguise of a mild-mannered reporter, he is with Jimmy in the locker room. What's the matter,
7: Jim? What are you so broken up about? Golly, Mr. Kent, it's about Howard and Bobby. I can't help feeling it was my fault somehow. Well, what was your fault? Tell me what happened. I, I don't know what happened. You don't know? No, all I know is Howard and Bobby are gone, and, and tomorrow is the championship track. But they've me. gone where? What are you talking about? Oh, here, read this. What is it? A uh, note. Howard left it for me before you. Wait a minute. Dear Jim, something bad happened and Bobby and I have to go away. I wish we didn't have to leave before the championship. Where did they go? We're worried that if we stay, we might get you and the coach and the other boys on the team in trouble, too. So we've decided to go. I sure hope Unity House wins tomorrow. Goodbye. Your friends Howard Jones and Robert Lee. You see, Mr. Kent, you see? Yeah. Something bad happened and they have to go away. Have you any idea what that could be, Jim? No. I saw them just a short well, before I found this note in my locker. They didn't say anything about this. Did they appear worried or upset? No, Bobby was kidding around the way he always does. There didn't seem to be anything wrong with him. Wait a minute, Jim. I think I know the answer. You do? What? Just a minute. Hello, Jim. Oh, well, hiya, Coach. Hey, what's Jim looking for under
1: those lockers? I don't know.
7: Look, did you find out anything about the boys?
1: No, but I crossed both of and in Bobby's homes. Their parents have no idea what's wrong. They haven't heard from the boys either. Oh, golly. I called the police, too. They're on their way down here. I can't understand, this. I think I can, Coach. Oh,
7: okay. What did you find? Yeah, what have you got there, Mr. Kent? Take a look. Both of you. Oh, what? What? Wait, those look like tiny wooden crutches. That's what they are, Jim. Two pairs of tiny crutches. <laughs> yeah,
1: but but they were what? in these two envelopes. See? Howard Jones is typewritten on one envelope. Bobby Lee is typed on the other. I think I understand now. Well,
7: I don't. You will when you see what type of this little tag, Jim. Listen. How would you like to race on these? Now, the dirty oh, low... I would healthy. like to race on me. Holy smokes. I get it. It's a warning. Yes, a
1: warning to Howard and Bobby that unless they withdraw from the playground championship tomorrow, they'll spend the rest of their lives on crutches. Oh, brother. Boy, how I'd like to get my hands on whoever's responsible for this. So would I, coach. But,
7: but who would do it? The same person or persons who objected to Howard and Bobby's presence on the Unity House track team in the first place. When they couldn't talk the boys into quitting the team or persuade you fellas to fire them, they sent them these crutches... Howard and Bobby knew what they meant. Where could the poor kids have gone? I know
1: they didn't have any money. Now that's what worries me. we have got to find them before something happens to them. What's more, they've got to race tomorrow. to show whoever is responsible for this outrage that they can't get away with threats and violence. I'm with you on that. But and look, you we... say you call the police, Coach. Yes, they'll be here any minute. Good. You two wait here for them. I'm going to look for the boys my way. See you later. <laughs> this is the job for Superman. Out of these clothes. <laughs> Then I'll cover this neighborhood first from the air. There we are. All set. Now. Up!
7: Up! And away.
1: <laughs> well, I've scoured this neighborhood, but there's no sign of Howard or Body. Where to now? Wait a minute. They may have contacted their host after Coach Storm called. Outside Howard's house first. Away! with was Bobby Lee's father on the phone, Mr. Kent. What did he say, Mr. Jones? Neither Bobby nor Howard are there, and he hasn't heard from the meal. I'm worried, Mr. Kent. Frankly, I'm badly worried. Now, now, take it easy. The boys are probably all right. Yeah, and but it, they've been it. gone for several hours, and I know Howard didn't have any money. Well... Mr. Lee says Bobby only had a few cents, too. I know, but... They're, they're too young, and they were frightened. Anything could happen to them. Anything. Howard is young, but he looks as if he could take care of himself, so don't worry, please. Now, look, if... if uh... If Howard was a bit scared and wanted to get to a safe place, where do you think he'd have gone? Well, usually when anything worries my boy, he always comes home to me. Oh, yes, of course. But this time, apparently, he didn't want to endanger you and his mother. Uh, under such circumstances, where else might he have gone? Well, well, he might have made for his uncle's farm. Oh? Where's that? Upstate, near Winston. Howard spent a couple of summers up there. It's just a tiny Winston? place. And... That's way up near the border, isn't it? Yes, it's on a spur of the Northeast Railroad. All right, I'll look into that right now. Don't give up yet, Mr. Jones. I'll report to you later. <laughs> Hurrying from the Jones house, Clark Kent swiftly resumes his true identity of Superman. Then,
7: up, up, and away!
1: Leaping into the darkening sky, the man of steel hurtles away to the north, on a trail that he hopes will lead him to Howard Jones and Bobby Lee. Is he on the right track? And now... Back to the adventures of
2: Superman.
1: As twilight shadows the landscape, the long freight train winds like a puffing snake along a narrow braid from which the roadbed falls away for hundreds of feet to a swift-running river. Atop a boxcar, Howard Jones and Bobby Lee crouch on a catwalk, bracing themselves against the jostling and bucking of the train.
3: Those guys don't know where we are. How can they? Nobody trailed us to the freight cars. You hope. I'm sure they didn't. Don't you worry. We'll get up to my uncle's farm, all right? We'll be safe there. Will he call up our folks and tell them not to worry? Very well. Oh, gosh, I promised my dad I'd never hit the ride on a freight. So did I, but we didn't have money to buy tickets, did we? Oh, well, no, but... Bobby, what's the matter? Look, up ahead. Now brakeman's coming along the top of the car. Holy smokes, what do we do? Well, we can't let him see us. I know they sometimes hit you with a steel rod and knock you off the train. Jeepers. I got it. We'll crawl over to the ladder on the side of the train and hang on to that till the brakeman gets past. Go on, you're closest to the ladder. But, but with it we fall. Don't, so, worry, just hang on tight. And only till that brakeman passes by. Yep, now we'll be a long line away. Well, okay. Is he coming? Yes, but he hasn't seen us yet. Move along, but be careful. I'm just about to the ladder. Don't slip now, or you'll go down into that river. Oh, brother! Look out, Bobby! We're going around a shot Keep
1: off balance as the long freight squirms at high speed around a sharp bend. Howard and Bobby grit their teeth and hang on for dear life as they feel themselves about to be flung from their precarious perch into the wide, swift-running river below. What will happen to the two youngsters? Will Superman on his way north see the plight of Howard and Bobby and be in time to save them from the danger that threatens their lives? There's a thrill minute in Monday's 10th action-filled episode, fellas and girls, so be sure to listen. Yes, tune in on Monday, same time, same station, for more of The Adventures of Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Superman DC Comics Magazine, and is brought to you Monday through Friday at this same time. Yes, it's Superman, a strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with amazing physical powers far beyond those of mortal men, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, wages a never-ending battle for truth and justice. Today, while Superman searches for them, young Howard Jones and Bobby Lee struggle desperately for their lives in a wide, swift-running river.
3: Hey, I think my leg's broken. I can't swim. Don't, don't worry, Bobby. I'll hook you up. But how long can you manage? I don't know. The current is awfully strong. Yeah. The shore is awfully far away. I, I could make it. If only I could swim out of the current. Keeping us in the middle of the river. I can't help it all. Holly, I'm getting so tired, Bobby. i some or something it's just come along. I can't keep swimming much longer against this current, Bobby. Bobby, I think we're done for.
1: It's spring training time, and all over the country, baseball teams are crowding the sand lots and diamonds. Players are jogging around the bases. Bats crack against swiftly thrown balls. These things are part of an American springtime. About this time, most teams are brushing up on their baseball strategy. And the old hit-and-run routine comes in for plenty of practice. Here's how it goes. Bases are loaded and two out. Your ace-pinch hitter goes up to the plate. Because this is a pinch when you must have a hit. The pitch comes. It's a strike. Another pitch. Ball one. The count goes up to two strikes, three balls. You wait now for the crucial 3-2 pitch. Then, as soon as it leaves the pitcher's hand, your men on the base take off. They don't wait for the batter to connect. If it's a hit, your runners will be on their way, headed for the next bag and home plate. Not at the crack of the bat, mind you, but as soon as the ball leaves the pitcher. That's the old hit-and-run game. With that strategy, if your pinch hitter connects, your team runs up the score. But, gang, the only way you can make the hit-and-run pay off is with smooth teamwork. Yes, each player must click with the others. That's why a good teammate is a guy who can come through in the pinch, work a hit-and-run angle, bunt or sacrifice when necessary. In other words, be a good team worker. That's what makes a top-notch player. His race, religion, or nationality, those things don't count in baseball. Those things don't make a team operate like a well-oiled machine. Ability and teamwork are the goods that make a great player, whether he's a gawky kid training on a neighborhood diamond or the home-run king of the big leagues. And now, the adventures of Superman! When Howard Jones and Bobby Lee, two young track stars from Unity House, found pairs of tiny wooden crutches in their lockers, they realized they were marked for injury. And worried about bringing trouble to their families and friends, they ran away. Having no money, the two boys caught a ride on a northbound freight train, hoping to reach the farm of Howard's uncle. But as the train swerved around a curve in the mountains, they lost their hold and plunged down a steep embankment into a wide, swift-running river. Meanwhile, learning of the boy's disappearance from Cub Reporter Jimmy Olson, manager of the Unity House track team, Clark Kent, who was really Superman, questioned Howard Jones' father. Mr. Jones said he thought his son might try to reach his uncle's farm upstate. So, again resuming his true identity of Superman, Kent streaked northward, following the railroad tracks. Unaware that at this moment the two boys are fighting for their lives in the swift current of a turbulent mountain river.
3: No use, Bobby. You can't swim anymore because, because you're holding me up. Look, Hallie, let me go. Maybe you can make it to shore alone. Leave you here to drown? Nothing's doing. This way, we'll both drown. Okay, then. We'll both drown. Hallie, Hallie, listen. What? Holy smokes, look. Okay, boys, everything's under control. Superman. Oh, boy. All
1: right, now, up with both of them. Oh, brother, what a break. Hang on tightly now. Here we go. Up, up, and over. Hello, Jim.
5: Hi, Mr. Kent. What happened? Why'd you tell me to meet you in this hospital?
1: Well, first of all, Howard and Bobby are here. Howard Jones and Bobby Lee? That's right. I, uh I mean Superman fished them out of a river.
5: What? The river? Oh, well, gee, was having No, I've... no, no,
1: take oh, it easy, take it easy. Bobby has a broken ankle, but apart from that, he's all right.
5: A broken ankle?
1: Uh-huh. Fortunately, it's no worse. And Howard is suffering from shock and exposure and a few minor cuts and bruises, but he'll be okay.
5: But, but what happened? What were they doing in a river?
1: Well, when they received those tiny crutches, they realized it was a warning. They thought they'd endanger you, too, if they stayed in Metropolis, so they hitched a ride on a freight and were thrown into a river. Oh, the poor kids. Now, don't you worry. They'll be all right.
5: I'm glad of that. But now we're cooked. I mean, the Unity House track team is playground championships of this afternoon. How can we expect to win without those two?
1: Especially Howard. Relax, there's a chance that Howard can run this afternoon. There is. Just a bare chance. But there's something more important to consider right now. What do you mean? Until we find out who sent those crutches to Howard and Bobby and put them behind bars where they belong, those two boys are still in danger. And so are you and Coach Thorne. I
5: say, that's right. But how can we find out?
1: Well, I have an idea. Look, did you bring those little crutches and the envelopes they were delivered in?
5: No, I don't have them anymore. You don't?
1: Uh-uh. What happened to them? I told you to hang on to them. The police wanted them. Sergeant Healy took them. Oh, and he's the man we want to see, and fast. Come on, gentlemen, let dash over to headquarters. Uh-huh.
2: Is the crutches. All
1: right, Sergeant Healy. Now, let's see. No, you're studying them, Kent. They won't tell you anything. Uh, I'm not so sure. Hmm. They're carved by hand. That we know. But that's all we do know about him. Except that whoever sent him to Young Jones and Lee is a skunk. Oh, what about fingerprints, Sergeant? No good, Jim. Too many people handled them. You, Kent, Coach Thorne, Jones, and Lee. Some of the other kids too. Oh, well, there's nothing on this pair. I told you there wasn't, Kent. May I see the other pair, please? Yeah, you're just wasting your time. Well, just the I same. I still think Ralph Mason must know something about this.
5: You know, he told us to kick Howard and Bobby off the team in the first place. I know, but maybe if you got hold of him, you could make him spill what he knows.
1: Ah. Uh, I talked to him a couple of times. So did his father. I'm convinced he knows nothing about... Oh oh here's something. Huh? What is it, Mr. Kent? These little crutches were carved out of wood from a shipping case. Oh, great. So how um, does that help us? Well, it might help us a great deal. I can make out a couple of letters that were stamped on the case. You
5: can? Yeah, uh-huh. where? Well, yeah,
1: show me. I don't think you can see them, Sergeant, but, but if I a... can't, then neither can you. Look, I went over them plenty carefully, and I didn't see... Well, you, 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 you must have missed the letters, because they're, they're, they're very faint. Whoever carved these things thought he'd remove the letters with sandpaper, but he forgot about the indentation they left in the wood. Oh, go on. You'll see. Wait a minute. First letter is Z, I think. Z? Uh-huh. And the next one is C or, or G? No, oh, no. Wait a minute. It's the letter O. Z-O. That's right. And there's nothing after the O, so I think those two letters are the end of a word or perhaps of a name. Z-O. Zo. Something ending in zo. Zo. Can't, uh-huh. I think you're nuts. Give me those things. I've got a strong magnifying glass right here. Okay, Sergeant, here you are. Dazzo,
5: Bizo, Bizo, hey. Ozo.
1: I think I can make out the letters, can't you? Good. Dazzo, Dazzo. Dazzo. you've sure got sharp eyes. Thanks, but uh, what does it stand for? What, what word or name? Dazzo,
5: Dizo, Fizzo. Hey, wait, I got it. You got what? Fizzle. That ends in a Z-O. What? Fizzle no, was the name of a soft drink. What? Their slogan is, you know, it's Fizzle.
1: Yeah, that's right. Good boy, Jim. Now we're getting someplace. Yeah? Like where? Well, we know or think we know that these tiny crutches were carved out of a Fizzle case. Okay, so where does that get us? There must be hundreds of Fizzle cases. Maybe thousands. Really? That's right. Look, we know that most case lots are delivered to drugstores and restaurants, and the cases are picked up again. Oh, we'll check with the people who make Fizzle, whoever they are, get a list of their Metropolis dealers, and try to trace down the case that these little crutches were made out of.
5: Well, that's some job. We can do it,
1: though. And we will do it. Right, Sergeant. I'll look it up in the phone book right now.
5: Gee, Wiz, I hope we're on the right track.
1: I think we are, Jim. Well, Kent, wait a minute. Here it is. Soft drink manufacturers, now. I, C, D, E, F, F, F. I Ah, here, Here we are. Fizzle Company. 111 West River Street. Okay. Come on, Kent, Jim. We'll hop out there and get a list of their customers. Then we'll find the guy who's behind all this dirty business. Fine, Sergeant. Let's go. Eagerly Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen follow Sergeant Healy from police headquarters. Unaware that they are en route to the soda bottling factory owned by John and George Mason. The very men who are alone responsible for the recent outrages against the innocent Howard Jones and Bobby Lee. Will Kent realize that he is at the end of the trail? Or will the clever John Mason fool him and the police again? And now, back to the adventures of Superman! Clark Kent, Jimmy Olsen, and Sergeant Healy are in a police car en route to the pizzo Bottling plant, which unknown to them is owned by the bigoted John and George Mason, the men who are responsible for the threat against the two Unity House boys. Suddenly a message crackles over the airwaves and is picked up by the shortwave radio receiver in the police car. winner calling Sergeant Healy and car Hey, that's me! Proceed to the Metropolis
5: Hospital at once to investigate disappearance of Howard Jones and Bobby Lee.
1: What disappeared from the hospital? Repeat, to
5: Sergeant Heavy, car 6-2. Get
1: to that hospital, Sergeant, fast. Hang on, I'm making a U-turn on two wheels. Proceed to Metropolis Hospital at once. Howard Jones and Bobby Lee have disappeared. its forward speed, Sergeant Healy swings the police car around in a screaming U-turn, then steps hard on the gas, heading for the Metropolis Hospital. What has happened to Howard and Bobby now? Have John and George Mason acted again against the two Unity House youngsters? There's a thriller minute in tomorrow's action-packed episode, fellas and girls, when we bring you the smashing climax of our story. So be sure to listen. Tune in same time, same station for The Adventures of Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Superman DC Comics Magazine and is brought to you Monday through Friday at this same time.
0: You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman.
1: Faster than a speeding bullet.
2: More powerful than a locomotive.
1: To leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky.
2: It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. <laughs>
1: It's Superman, strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with amazing physical powers far beyond those of mortal men, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, wages a never-ending battle for truth and justice. Today, Superman, in his guise of Clark Kent, is accompanied by Cub reporter Jimmy Olsen as, together, they rush from Sergeant Healy to Metropolis Hospital. In response to an urgent directive from police headquarters.
5: Gee whiz, what's happened here, Doctor?
1: Where are Howard Jones and Bobby Lee? I, I don't know, Mister Candace. What? What do you mean you don't know, Doc? They couldn't just just dissolve into thin air. I know, Sergeant. But all I can tell you is that five minutes ago, the nurse assigned to them came running into my office and reported that both Jones and Lee were not in their beds, their rooms, or anywhere in the building. It's it's as if
2: as if they vanished. <laughs>
1: Gang, I'm sure all of us, at least once in a time or another, have played the sucker by making snap judgments. For instance, in sizing up new acquaintances, we take a quick
4: look, maybe say hello and goodbye, and then think we know all about the fellow we just met. Well, it just doesn't work that way. Sad experience will teach you, if you haven't already found out, that you can't rely on snap judgments to tell how much you know about somebody. Suppose I decided I couldn't stand the guy who moved in next door for one of a number of senseless reasons. Then a couple of weeks, we became real pals. The new neighbor turned out to be a swell guy, and I found out that my first impression of him was all lopsided. But see how foolish I would look to myself? For that shows that prejudging a man before you really get to know him is senseless. And another word for prejudging is prejudice. Both words mean that you've made up your mind in advance
1: whether you will or will not like a person. So they're both senseless. Even when you make up your mind you don't like a guy because of his tie or because he squints all the time, those are your prejudices. But some people have more dangerous prejudices.
4: They decide in advance that they won't like a fellow because of his race or his religion or the country his grandfather came from. They never really get to know the guy. Does that make sense? Well, certainly not. Because in the end, prejudice makes you lose out. For if you don't give every boy and girl a chance to prove what kind of people they really are, you wind up missing some very fine friendships with some very swell people. It's just as simple as that.
1: And now, the adventures of Superman! Superman! When Superman saved the lives of Howard Jones and Bobby Lee, two members of Jimmy Olsen's Unity House track team who had been warned by intolerant hate mongers to withdraw from playground competition, he left the boys at Metropolis Hospital. Then, as Clark Kent, he set out to track down whoever sent the fearful warning symbols that threatened the two boys with a lifetime on crutches. <laughs> Discovering that the miniature crutches, which accompanied the warning notes, were carved from wooden cases used to ship a soft drink called Fizzle, Kent, accompanied by Jimmy Olson and Sergeant Healy, were on their way to visit the Fizzle bottling plant when a voice on the police car radio announced...
5: Howard Jones and Bobby Lee reported missing from Metropolis
2: Hospital.
1: Investigate at once. As we join them now, Kent, Jimmy, and Sergeant Healy are staring at two empty beds in the room that had been occupied by the missing boys. A white-clad doctor stands with them. When did you first discover their disappearance, Doctor? Couldn't have been more than ten minutes ago, Mr. Kent. Do you think it's possible for a patient to just walk out of the hospital without being seen by someone? Why,
5: no. Gee whiz, then then somebody must have taken them out of here. Who would do a thing like that, Jim, and why? Oh, whoever threatened them, Sergeant, and and sent them those little crutches. Oh, now, look, Scott. Quick, Scott. What's the matter, Mr. Kent? Come out into the corridor with me, all of you.
1: Hurry! What did you bring us out here for, Kent? I don't
5: see anything special in this car. You
1: though. will in a minute, Jim. Uh, doctor, do you have the key to this door? Why, well, yes, but this is the porter's broom and mop closet. I know, I know it is. Open it, please. I can't understand. What you expect to find in here? Well, it better be good. good. Or...
5: Holy smoke. Well, well be Two kids. Howard. Bobby. Hi, Jim.
1: Oh, boy, well, I, I have a chair. Well, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The questions can wait until we get these boys back into their beds. Come on. <laughs> There. Are you comfortable now, boys? Oh, yes, sir. Sure, Good.
5: Now tell us what happened. Well, you tell him, Howie. Okay. Uh, Bobby here was in bed with his broken ankle, and I was sitting in that chair by the window, just kind of resting my bruises. When I looked down toward the street, and I almost fell in my face when I saw it was coming into the hospital. Who was it, Howie? Ralph Mason. No kidding. Oh, that's right, Jim. Howie jumped up and yelled, here comes Ralph Mason with a big husky man. And this time they'll get us. What made you think they'd come to get you? Well, well, because it was Ralph who first threatened us and warned us to quit the Unity House team. That's right, Sergeant. He threatened Coach Thorne and me, too. I see. Go on with your story, Howard. Well, Bobby and I were both pretty scared. And how? So I helped him off the bed, and as soon as we got out in the corridor, we saw the elevator coming up. We were sure Ralph and that man were on it. Then we really got panicky. I saw that closet door open, so I dragged Bobby into it and then slammed the door shut behind us. And if you hadn't found us, we'd probably have suffocated in there. She was. why didn't you open the door after a they while? They couldn't, again?
1: Jim. They couldn't. There's an automatic snap lock on these closet doors that opens only with a key from the outside.
5: Oh. Yeah, we found that out.
1: Uh, Sergeant, look, we've got work to do on a certain clue, remember? Uh, that's right, Kent. Uh,
5: Mr. Kent discovered those little crutches you fellas got as a warning were carved out
1: in cases. Used no to... time for that now, Jim. We'll keep you boys posted. Come on, Sergeant. Let's get going. Uh, this is it, Ken. Fizzle Bottling Company. Right, Sergeant. Come on, let's Holy get. Holy smokes! Look at that. Look at what? Yet?
5: Look what it says on that sign. And the Fizzle Bottling Company. Huh? John and George Mason, proprietors. Well, I'll be... Isn't that. Sure. A... John Mason is Ralph's father. Hey. What a coincidence. Coincidence, my eye. I told you Ralph Mason knows more about what's happened to Howard and Bobby. Ah, as... rubbish. Come on, Kent. Let's you and I
1: go in and have a talk with Mason. Jim, you stay here. Oh,
5: now look, Sergeant. Don't argue, you, Jim. Don't argue.
1: Let's go, Sergeant. <laughs> we want from you, Mr. Mason, is a little cooperation. Oh, certainly, Sergeant.
4: What can I do for you?
1: Just give me a list of the customers to whom you deliver fizzle and case lots. A list? In case lots? Well, but, but why? Whatever do you want that for? Well, you see... Oh, we were just wondering... Uh, 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 by the way, Mr. Mason, I just remembered something I mustn't forget. Do you mind if I use your typewriter to make a note of it? Why? Why, no. Uh, help yourself. Thanks. Well, what do you say, Mr. Mason? You let me have that list? Well, uh, this is rather irregular. But it's very important to a case we're working on. Uh, very well, Sergeant. Under those circumstances, I, I guess I can't refuse. But I will need a few hours to copy the list you want from our books. Okay, let me know when you have it, and I'll send over for it. Ready to go, Kent? Yes, yes. Uh, oh, I see you're pretty good at whittling, Mr. Mason. Those little figures on your desk are very interesting. Hobby of yours? What? Uh, well, no, no. My my brother. Well, that uh, wood your fizzo bottle cases are made of makes rather good whittling, I guess. Uh, uh yes, uh, yes, I, I suppose so. Come on, Kent, let's go. Okay, Sergeant. Uh, see you again, Mr. Mason. Soon, I hope. <laughs> Yes, Sergeant, I'm pretty much convinced now that John Mason is the man behind the terrorizing of the two Unity House boys. So am
5: I. I've been saying that all. You keep
1: out of this, young fella. Okay. Now, can't I think you are way off base? But if you'll give me two good reasons for suspecting Mason, I'll take him in for questioning. All right. Number one, Ralph Mason, John's son, threatened the two boys, as well as Jim and Coach Thorne. So what? I told now, wait, a you. wait a minute. Wait a minute. Number two, we find the little wooden crutches that were sent to Howard and Bobby as a warning symbol were made out of wood from a fizzle packing case. And that leads us to John Mason. Okay. Furthermore, I discover evidence of whittling as a hobby in John Mason's office. All circumstantial evidence. Nothing that any good lawyer couldn't muck into a hat. Maybe. But here's something it'll hold up in court. What's that? A sample of the typing from Mason's office typewriter. Which, unless I miss my guess, will match the typed message attached to the miniature crutches received by Jones and Lee. How about that, Sergeant? Uh. With well, a dust match, you've got something, Kent. And on that evidence, I take him in. Good. Head for your police lab, and we'll have your expert check it right away. Confident that he will soon have the unsportsmanlike like Mason Brothers behind bars, Clark can't accompany Sergeant Healy to the police laboratory. Unaware that at this moment, new and serious trouble is brewing at the Masons' plant. And now. Back to the adventures of Superman. As we continue now, John Mason is telling his brother George about the visit paid to their establishment by Clark Kent and Sergeant Healy. I told you, George, things look pretty bad for us. Rubbish, John. You always wear a crepe hanger. Don't be stupid, George. Why do you think they came here asking for a list of our case-lots customers, huh? Because they traced the wood those glass that crutches were carved from, that's why. Do you really think so? Of course I do. And on top of that... Uh, Kent, that newspaper fella Asked me very pointedly if wood carving was my hobby Good heavens want me to ask that Because you stupidly left samples of your art all over this office Well, how in thunder was I to know they'd come here I don't know But I should have known that Kent fellow was too smart This is his fault uh, This trouble we're in No, no, it's that Olson boy's fault, that's who ah, Ridiculous No, I tell you, it is his fault he started all this trouble with Ralphie after Alfred Ralphie asked him to throw the Jones and Lee boys off the Unity House to eat. So what? I, only... I hate him. I hate that little rat. Don't work yourself up, George. I should have killed him instead of creasing his skull. That would have put an end to our troubles. Now, George, listen to me. No, I'm through listening to you. This time I'm going to finish. George! George, come back here. I'm going to kill that Olson boy even if I
2: have to hang for it. <laughs>
1: Viciously slamming the door shut in his brother John's pleas, George Mason climbs into his car with a cold murderous look in his eye, drives toward the municipal stadium where he hopes to find Jim Olsen readying his team for the city championship track meet. What will happen? How will Clark to his Superman, learn of George Mason's determination to destroy Jim Olsen in time to save the young cub reporter's life? There's a thriller minute in store for you tomorrow, gang, when we bring you the smashing climax of this story and the beginning of a new and exciting adventure. So don't fail to listen. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow, same time, same station, for more of the Adventures of Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Superman DC Comics Magazine and is brought to you Monday through Friday at this same time.
0: Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior!
1: Superman, strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with amazing physical powers far beyond those of mortal men, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, wages a never-ending battle for truth and justice. Today, as Superman works with the police to forge the final links of evidence against John and George Mason... A faithful conference is taking place between the two evil brothers. If Clark Hanson and the police are wise to us, George, we'll go to jail. And it'll be your fault. No. No, it's that Olson boy's fault. He started all this trouble after Ralphie asked him to throw the Jones and Lee boys off the Unity House team. Uh, so what? That only... I do- should have killed him instead of creasing his skull. That would have put an end to our troubles. Now, George, listen to me. No. No, I'm through listening to you. This time I'm going to finish. George! George, come back here! I'm going to kill that Olsen boy even if
2: I have to hang for it.
1: You know, gang, there's always one fellow or girl in the neighborhood who is looked up to by all the others. He knows the score, and it's safe bet that most people look up to such a fellow not so much for what he knows, but for the things he does, the way he acts towards other people, his ability to get along with all boys and girls in town, no matter what their race, religion, or nationality. Well, gang, here are some pointers that might help you become the leader of your neighborhood. Check your own actions against these questions, scoring one point for each yes and nothing for each no. Answer honestly. If your total score is three or less, then you'd better get on the ball and change your ways. If your total is four or five points, then you're about average. But if your score is six or seven, then, brother, you know the score. Now, here's question number one. Are you interested in lots of things? For instance, if one of the boys on the block is keen on machinery, can you talk to him about it or listen to him while he explains a special type of machine to you? Or if another fellow is all wrapped up in stamp collecting or chemistry, do you ever take time out to ask him about it? We know some guys who are interested in sports nothing else. Anybody who isn't interested in sports, they call a bookworm. But the guy who knows the score also knows that people are interested in lots of different things. And he should be, too. So question number one is, are you interested in many things? Well, think that over. And a little later in the program, we'll give you the other six questions. So be sure to keep listening. Now, the adventures of Superman. Convinced that John and George Mason were responsible for the attacks on cub reporter Jimmy Olsen and two Unity House track stars, Clark Kent, who, as we know, is Superman, presented his evidence to the Metropolis police. But when the fanatical George Mason learned from his brother that he was under suspicion, he flew into a wild rage and swore that he would finish Jimmy Olsen, whom he blamed for his predicament. Pushing his brother aside, George rushed from his small bottling factory just as Ralph, his young nephew, entered.
7: What's the matter, Dad? Why'd Uncle George rush out like that? That
1: crazy maniac. I've got
2: to stop him. George! George, come back here! There goes his car. Yes. It's too late to stop him now, I'm afraid. Sure is. A
1: stupid fool. He'll get himself hung. And me too.
7: You mean, Dad.
1: What's he done? He's gone off to kill young Olsen. Jim Olson. Yes. He blames Olson because Clark Kent and the police are suspicious
7: of but, us. But holy cow, we got to stop him, Dad. We've got to. Yeah, but how? He wouldn't listen to me. I know how to stop him. Wait, Ralph. Wait. I'm where I'm where are you going? I'm going to save
2: Jim. This thing's gone too far.
1: I just got the report from the crime detection, lad Kent. Good. What's the dope, Sergeant? The warning note to Howard Jones and Bobby Lee was written on the typewriter in the Mason Brothers' office, just as you said. I knew it. Then they are behind this. You bet they are. Sure, it all adds up now. They sent Ralph, John Mason's son, to tell Howard and Bobby to quit the Unity House team. When the boys refused to quit, Ralph went to Jim Olson, the team's manager. When Jim told Ralph where to go, the Mason brothers tried to kill him and then sent those tiny crutches to Howard and Bobby as a threat. Right. And if not for Superman, Howard and Bobby would be both dead now. Well, what are we waiting for, Sergeant? We're waiting for nothing. I'm going out right now to pick up John and George Mason. Good. Want to come along? You bet I do. That's a pleasure I don't want to miss. Well, come on, then. Hey, excuse me, Sergeant, but this voice such just... Listen, Sergeant. Hey, wait a minute. Aren't you Ralph Mason? Yeah. Yes, sir. So what uh, do you want?
3: I've i come to tell you that, that my Uncle Georgie, he, he's going to kill Jim Ols. What? Are you telling the truth, Ralph? Yes, sir. My father tried to stop him, but he couldn't. I came here as fast as I could. Why that low down. Look, Ralph. I, I didn't know there was going to be any killing or anything like that. Honest. I, I wouldn't have gotten mixed up in
7: it.
1: All right, if I ne- did. Ne- never mind that now, son. Where is your uncle?
3: I don't know. He drove off in his car. He said he was going to get Jim.
1: Great Scott, I'd better get Don't get excited, Ken. Well, I out a general alarm for Mason. We'll pick him up. But that may be too late. I've got to pick him up my way. So long. <laughs> Lois! Lois!
6: Oh, hello, Clark.
1: Where's Jim, do you know?
6: Yes, he went to the Metropolis Stadium. Why?
1: Stadium? Are you sure? Certainly.
6: The playground championships that'll be run off today, you know. But
1: the track meet isn't scheduled to start until 3.30, and it's just a little after one now.
6: I know, but Jim was going to pick up Howard Jones
1: first. Where, at the hospital? Yes.
6: Well, you seem worried, Clark. Is anything wrong?
1: Plenty, but there's no time to explain now, Lois. I'll see you later. (laughs) Yeah. This storeroom is deserted, so out of these clothes. This is a job for Superman. We've got to get to the hospital before George Mason does. There we are, all set. Now, just raise this window. So, now, up,
7: up, and away!
5: Sally Howard. Saves us walking all the way around the stadium to the front door. Oh, well. Gee, I wish I could run today, Jim. Yeah, so do I. I'm afraid Unity House won't have a chance without you. Oh, I wouldn't say that. No, it's true. Without both maybe. you and Bobby in the relays, we're really sunk in that event. Well, look, maybe I could run the relay, Jim. I don't feel too bad. No, nothing doing, Howie. The doctor says you shouldn't run today, so that's final. No, we'll just... Wait have... a minute, Jim. What's the matter? That, that man getting out of his car just ahead. You see him? What about him? He looks just like the man who almost ran me over the other night. He does. Uh-huh. He cheapers. He. He's got a rifle. Yeah. What the Jim? He's aiming at us. Sleeping lizards. He. he... He's gonna shoot us.
1: Frozen in their tracks, Jimmy Olsen and young Howard Jones face the rifle in the hands of the enraged George Mason. What will happen? And now. Back to the adventures of Superman. While Superman searches for cub reporter Jimmy Olson and Howard Jones, the two youngsters have been ambushed in the alley behind the Metropolis Stadium by George Mason, who points a rifle at them and yells. I've got you now, Olson, and you two Jones. You won't either one get away this time.
5: Holy smoke,
3: Jim! What do we do? I, I don't know,
5: Howie.
1: He guns up all of you, you little.
3: Down, Howie! not in your face. <laughs> Jim, Howie,
5: look. Superman's here. Relax,
1: boys. I stopped those two bullets. Now I'll take care of George Mason.
2: Hooray!
5: As you should have seen it, Miss Lane. Superman stopped those two bullets meant for me and Howie. Then he jumped on George Mason before he could get his rifle up again. One punch. Zowie. And Mason was listening to the birdies.
6: Yes, I heard about it, Jim.
5: Both Mason brothers are in jail now, where they belong. I feel kind of badly for Ralph, though. Ralph? Yeah. He's John Mason's son. The kid was really sorry for everything that happened. Well, he broke down and cried when Howard and I said we wouldn't prefer any charges against him. And he was tickled when he found out he could even run in the championships if he wanted to.
6: Well, that was very decent of you and Howard, Jim. Oh, say, where did I put my briefcase? Mm-hmm.
5: Oh, right here. Oh, thanks. But okay. to top everything, the Unity House team was so sore about what happened, and because Howard Jones and Bobby Lee couldn't run, well, they practically burned the cinders off the track, and we won the playground championship.
6: Yes, that was too bad, Jim. Yes. Too bad? Oh, I mean, uh, uh what did you say? Why, sir? Said... hey, you haven't been listening to a word I said. I, I, I'm in a terrible hurry, Jim. There, I think I have everything.
5: Where's Clark? Well, he went to police headquarters to prefer charges against the Masons. Well,
6: listen, you look like you're going someplace. I am, and I did want to see Clark before I left. Oh, I haven't got time to wait for him. Well, where are you going? Well, I don't exactly know. You don't know? Uh-uh. It's quite a distance away, but that's all I know. I'll have to figure it out on the plane. Figure what out? Where I'm going. Huh? Oh, now, look, Miss uh, Lynn, I haven't wh- got time to explain now, Jim. My plane leaves in... 20 minutes, but Horatio says it's a terrific story and we, we may run into danger. So Horatio? Danger? What are you talking about? I told you, Jim, I haven't got time to explain, but look, Jim, now listen... If anything happens to me, if you don't hear from me, by tomorrow at this time, look up the Daily Planet for the day before yesterday and work out the crossword puzzle. The what? The crossword puzzle, Jim, in the daily planet of the day before yesterday. That'll tell you where I went. Well, goodbye, Jim. I've got to fly. But Miss Lane, well time. Oh, don't forget, Jim, the crossword puzzle will tell you where I am. <laughs>
1: Mystified and worried too, Jimmy Olson shakes his head dazedly as Lois Lane rushes from her office and across the city room, the traveling bag in one hand and a briefcase under her arm. What did Lois mean when she said?
6: "If anything happens to me." Find the Daily Planet for the day before yesterday and work out the crossword puzzle.
1: Where is the girl reporter going? What is this new mystery? Well, fellows and girls, it's one of the most thrilling and exciting adventures that Superman and his friends have ever been engaged in. We call it the crossword puzzle mystery. And it gets underway with a bang tomorrow. So be sure to listen. Tune in tomorrow, same time, same station, for chapter one of the crossword puzzle mystery on... The Adventures of Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Superman DC Comics Magazine and is brought to you Monday through Friday at this same time.
0: Behold, man. Oh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, aha, uh-huh. it's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, with an exclusive Loot on surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, ha uh-huh. <laughs> haha! From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX Collectible Boxes, dude! Calabunga To the Loot Gaming Video Game Box! Woohoo! Yeehoo! To Loot Crate Box, what's with today, huh? Rouses! With cuts starting as large as 11 dollars per month, Those are packs just about for all collectors To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's f-e-n-i-x media dot forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, dig it!
1: It's Superman, strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with amazing physical powers far beyond those of mortal men, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, wages an never-ending battle for truth and justice. Today, Superman, in his guise of Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, is confronted with one of the weirdest mysteries of his adventurous career as the city of Metropolis is attacked by the ghost of Captain Kidd.
2: Aye, matey, and no man living can stop me. I'm a buried treasure, and I know where to find it. So vast there, you gimlet eyed lovers. Clear the decks in the name of Captain Kidd! <laughs>
1: Three hundred twenty-two years ago, gang, a fellow named Peter Minuit was doing some trading with the American Indians. He was swapping beads for corn and money for blankets when the Indians, a little short on cash, offered to throw an island of theirs called Manhattan into the deal in return for twenty-four dollars. Peter Minuit consulted with his friends to make sure he wasn't overpaying and finally agreed to buy Manhattan. But he never dreamed that the pretty little island would someday grow into one of the greatest cities in the world with monumental skyscrapers, subways, and stores, and that the empty fields would one day house millions of people and become headquarters for the United Nations. How could he know that what he had bought for $24 would develop into the tremendous metropolis of New York City and that it would be the result of many people working side by side, all kinds of people? Yes, New York City, as we know it today, is the result of the work of the Dutch who first settled here, of the English and French who came not much later, of the Protestants, Catholics, and Jews who had fled to the New World to escape religious persecution. It was the work of the African Negroes who came in slavery but remained to build freedom. Italians, Hungarians, Swedes, Irish, Russians, Slovaks, Chinese. Millions and millions of people from the four corners of the world, of all colors and religions and nationalities, who came to Peter Minuit's little island. Yes, they all gave it their labor, their ideas, and their devotion. And they created a miracle. Yes, gang, all of these people, all of those various nationalities working together, transformed a grassy little island into New York City, capital of the world. And now, the adventures of Superman! Superman! Beneath the sprawling city of Metropolis lies a vast network of dimly lit tunnels through which gleaming steel rails extend web-like in all directions. Mile after mile of track carrying thundering electric trains crowded with people. This is the lifeline of a mighty city, the great Metropolis Subway. In the central traffic office, the mechanical brain of the underground subway system, two men are seated before an electrified map on which pinpoints of red and green light indicate the positions of all trains moving through the twisting labyrinth of tunnels. Below the map is a long row of switches, each marked with a number. To the left and right are plate glass windows looking out in the murky darkness of the underground city. Suddenly a train roars past the windows, its lights illuminating the faces of the two men. One of them reaches out and throws a switch. And as the last car disappears into the darkness, he slips off his high stool and stretches his cramped muscles. Uh, all clear now until 442 at 820. Then go and get a pint of coffee. Okay. How about a cruller, Joe, or one of them jelly buttons? No, thanks. Coffee will do me. All right. Alone now in the traffic office, Joe Miller, chief dispatcher, watches the illuminated map with its tiny lights blinking like red and green fireflies. He looks up at the clock. But before his eyes can reach it, he catches a reflection in the plate glass window, and he stiffens. Yeah. Behind him, the door of the traffic office is opening slowly, inch by inch. Holding his breath, Joe Miller remains motionless, watching the window. Suddenly, a strange figure slips into the room and closes the door quickly behind him. Joe Miller spins around on his stool. But before he can speak, the figure lunges at him, and the ghostly silence of the underground subway office is broken by a terrified scream. No! Now, Kent, don't stand there gawking at me. Henderson's at the hospital now. Oh, go down and get the story. But, Chief, it, it, it's utterly fantastic. Oh, no, it is, is it? I suppose the entire breakdown of the Metropolis subway system is fantastic. No, but... And I suppose dozens of trains stalled in dark tunnels and thousands of people in panic is fantastic. Of course not, but... Then stop talking so much and get down to the city hospital and get the story from that chief dispatcher. His name's Joe Miller. Okay, but... But, 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 nothing but buts. Get that story and get it fast. I want it as the editor of the planet, and I want it as the heir of Metropolis. Now, go ahead. <laughs> Now, look, Kent, I said no reporters, and I meant no reporters, and that includes you. Now, look, Inspector, Murphy, show Mr. Kent what the door of the hospital look, looks like on the outside. You're forgetting this is a hospital corridor, Inspector. You shouldn't raise your voice. I'll raise more than I, boys, can believe me. Now, I've got enough trouble with this case without you byline boys hounding me. I'll be a nice fellow and go quietly. But, Inspector, you don't understand. I'm not here as a reporter. Oh, no? No, I'm the personal representative of the Honorable Perry White, mayor of Metropolis. All right, all right, you win. (laughs) But you've got to promise me one thing. Just name it. Not a word of this this crazy story gets into the papers until... Well, until we make some sense of it. Okay. Where does it stand now? In the middle of nowhere. What? I'm waiting to talk to Miller. He got a bad slash on the arm and the doctors are patching it up. How did he get the slash? From a cutlass, he says. A what? A cutlass. A pirate's cutlass. You can come in now, Inspector. Thanks, Doc. Yeah. Okay, Kevin. Don't easy with him. He's still pretty tricky. Don't worry. Feeling better, Mr. Miller? Yes, thank you. I'm Inspector Henderson, and this is Clark Ken of the Daily. Uh, of the Hire's Office. Hello? We'd, uh, we'd like to get your story firsthand. You won't believe it. Nobody believes it, but I swear it happened. I swear by everything I hold secret, I saw him as clearly as I see you. Easy, I... easy now, Mr. Miller. Don't get Somebody's yourself excited. Somebody's got to believe me. Don't you understand?
7: Somebody's got to, or else... Or else I'll go out of my mind.
1: I'll believe anything you tell me, Mr. Miller. You, you will? Mm-hmm. You will? Really? Yes, I will. All right. I'll tell you just what happened. Remember, you promised to believe me. That's right. Well, I... I was alone in the traffic office. Dan, that's... That's Dan O'Keefe and gone up to get a pot of coffee. Uh-huh. I happened to look out the window, and I saw the door opening behind me. Before I could turn around, someone slipped into the
7: office and closed the door after it. The back of the office is kind of dark, but my eyes are shut up, and I I could see him standing there looking at me. Who was it? I'm coming to that. Uh He's about your height. He was built bigger. He was wearing boots and leather breeches, and had a bright red sash around his waist. His coat was black. Yeah, black. And it was fitted tight. On his head, he wore a big three-cornered
1: hat. On the front of it, there was there was, a skull and crossbones. Go ahead, Mr. Miller. You think I'm crazy? You think I'm making all this up? Well, I didn't make up this cut in my arm. Well, of course not. What happened after you turned around to face him? Well, he had kind of a sword in his hand, a, a curved sword. He waved it over his head, and he came at me yelling, Nobody can stop Captain Kidd. Well, I tried to get out of the way, but I couldn't. I felt the edge of the sword cutting into my arm, and...
7: That's all I remember, Till I woke up in the ambulance and they were bringing me to the hospital. Who
1: we'll found him, Inspector? Oh, Chief, when he came back with the coffee. Uh-huh. Miller was on the floor bleeding like a stuck pig. And all the switches were messed up. Fortunately, whoever did this pulled the power switch and stalled every subway train throughout the city. Otherwise, there would have been head-on collisions. <laughs> now, what? I... Hold <laughs> it, Inspector. There's someone at the door. Is Inspector in there, Mr. Kent? Uh-huh. Uh, what is it, Mr. Well, this envelope came over from headquarters. Dolan brought it over and he said "Tell you they found it on the floor of the traffic office down in the subway. Found what? What's in the envelope, I guess. Hmm. Looks like a medal. May I see it, Inspector? Thanks. What is it, Jen? What the... Hmm? Why, this... This is incredible. What's incredible? This. It's a Spanish gold coin dated 1745, when Captain Kidd, the pirate chief, was alive. And now the adventures of superman his city hall office perry white recently elected mayor of metropolis is pacing the floor like a caged lion suddenly he stops short and faces Clark kent. i don't care what you say kent i'm not going to issue a statement if henderson wants this, want to issue one by them but chief it's your duty mayor of the city to calm people down thousands of them were caught in the subway this morning and they certainly deserve an explanation well, what am i going to tell them that the, the ghost of Captain Kidd, of a, of a pirate chief, disrupted the subway system? Nobody said he was a ghost. Oh, no, what else could it be? He's been dead for 200 oh, years. wait a minute. Calm down for a minute. All right. All right, Mr. Kent. you solved the problem. You tell me what kind of a statement I can issue.
2: Well, if
1: you listen, I'll tell you. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm listening. It's very simple. You issue a statement to the effect that someone, as yet unidentified, attempted... Don't forget that word. Attempted to disrupt the subway system, but the prompt action of the police, etc., etc. Uh, what about the Captain Kidd business? Well, what about it? How am I going to explain that away? You don't have to at the moment. All you do is, just... oh, blast that girl! I told her no calls. I thought I told you. Who? Oh, oh, all right. Put him on. It's Henderson. Oh, maybe I can talk him into wishing. A... Hello. Yes. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. You are talking too fast. What? say that again. Oh, no. What is it, Chief? The Metropolis Bank was just robbed of half a million dollars by... by... by whom? Jesse James and his gang. First Captain Kidd, and now Jesse James, both fabulous bad men out of the past, who seemingly have come to haunt the city of Metropolis. What is the answer to this puzzling mystery? We'll know more tomorrow when Superman takes a hand. So be sure to tune in again tomorrow, same time, same station, and listen to Chapter 2 of The Ghost Brigade on The Adventures of Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature and is brought to you Monday through Friday at this same time. Watch for the Superman Adventure serial to be shown at your local movie theater. Superman, strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came forth with amazing physical powers far beyond those of mortal men, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, wages a never-ending battle for truth and
2: justice.
1: Today, in the guise of Clark Kent... Superman is about to begin an investigation of the Metropolis subway disaster when he is suddenly interrupted by the startling news that the Ghost Brigade has struck again. Chief, it's so incredible I can hardly believe it. Incredible or not, it's true. To the tune of a half million dollars. Are you sure you got the message straight? I'm positive. The Metropolis National Bank was held up by by Jesse James and his gang. Dozens of kids who live in the park action of Brooklyn had a big time last week, gang, dressed in caps and jackets from the brothers' uniforms and armed with dime store pistols. They formed a welcoming committee for General Omar Bradley, the Army's chief of staff, who was visiting the Jewish hospital of Brooklyn just so that he could fulfill a promise he had made two years ago. You see, in one of the children's wards of the hospital, there's a wonderful United Nations mural with the signatures of many famous people who are trying to bring peace to the world. Now, General Bradley had been invited to add his name to the roster and had promised to do so. Now, long before the general's arrival, the boys had gathered in platoons on the sidewalk outside the hospital. Finally, a motorcycle escort roared down the street. It was General Bradley's convoy. The police immediately formed a line to keep the spectators back, but some of the boys slid through it anyway and stood before the general's cocky colored limousine as it drew to a stop. Then one lad pulled out a giant American flag while the others stood by at attention. They all saluted, and General Bradley, striding through the double line of police, smilingly returned the salutes of the boys. Then he returned and hurried into the hospital and up to the children's ward. There he signed the United Nations mural, adding his name to those of other great ones up there. It was a very impressive moment, for this mural in the Jewish hospital of Brooklyn is a reminder to all of us, you, me, and General Bradley, too, that we must all work and never stop working to achieve real peace in the world by having real understanding among men of all races, religions, and of all nationalities. (laughs) And now, the adventures of Superman! Within the short space of 15 minutes of a spring morning, the vast network of the Metropolis subway, in which millions of people rode daily to and from work, suddenly became a scene of chaos and panic. From one end of the city to the other, crowded trains were stalled, the passengers trapped in smoke-filled tunnels, and transportation throughout Metropolis was brought to an abrupt halt. The administrative forces of the city, led by Mayor Perry White, immediately went into high gear to meet the emergency. And then, out of the confusion, one question screamed uppermost in the minds of everyone affected. How did it happen? The strange answer was supplied by Joe Miller, the chief dispatcher of the subway. You won't believe me. You'll think I'm crazy. But I swear it happened. I was alone in the central office when all of a sudden, somebody came in. He was wearing boots and leather breeches. He had a big red sash around his waist. On his head, he wore a big 3 cornered hat and on it, there was a skull and crossbones. It was Captain Kidd who messed up the subway. Captain Ed the Pirate. Then, as if to supply final proof for the seemingly fantastic story, a coin was found in the traffic control office. A coin of Spanish gold. They did 1745. But now Clark Kent has just received news of another startling development, and we find him in a cab with young Jimmy Olsen speeding through city traffic, heading for the Metropolis Bank.
5: Cheapers, Mister Kent, five hundred thousand uh-huh. dollars. I didn't think there was that much money in
1: the whole world. It's a big haul, Jim. Worst robbery we've ever had in Metropolis. And
5: in broad daylight too. We sure had nerve. Well,
1: Jesse James was famous for his nerve.
5: Jesse James. What are you talking about, Mr. Kent?
1: Inspector Henderson reported that Jesse James and his gang of outlaws pulled the robbery.
5: What? But Jesse James is dead. He's been dead a long time. I
1: know. So is Captain Kidd, but he was seen this morning, too. Jeepers,
5: Mr. Kent. What's going on in this
1: town? That's what I'd like to know, Jim.
5: Yes, I sir. Drop us
2: back. Okay.
1: File out, Jim. We'll find Inspector Henderson inside. <laughs> this, Inspector Henderson, Jim. Come on. Who's that he's talking to, Mr. Kent? Probably Mr. Presby, the bank president. Boy, he looks man enough to chew nails. You would be too if you were in his shoes, I guess. Hello, Inspector. Kent, what are you doing here? I thought I gave orders that no report... Uh, uh, Now, don't start that again. I'm here as Mayor White's personal representative, remember? Indeed. Well, gentlemen, you can tell Perry for me that in all my years as a citizen of Metropolis, I've never witnessed a more flagrant exhibition of incompetence on the part of so-called law enforcement. Oh now, now, Mr. Presby, please. I want you to give the mayor a full report of this outrage, Mr. Kent. Well, and I'll I'm... be very glad to, sir, but I need some facts. Now, uh, exactly what happened. We were robbed of a half million dollars. That's what happened. Yes, I know that. But but how?
5: And what's this routine about Jesse James?
1: Well, Mr. Presby claims he saw Jesse James and his brother Frank James hold up the bank. Inspector Henderson, I resent your implication the timeline. I saw them with my own eyes. Boots, spurs, ten-gallon hats, everything. Even black handkerchiefs across their faces. Then how could you be sure they were really the James boys? They called each other Frank and Jesse. Oh. And when they left, they shouted, The James boys ride again. Cheaper. And they rode horses. My men haven't found anyone who saw two horsemen. I don't care what your men haven't found. It's just another example of their incompetence. I tell you, I saw them with my own eyes. I'm sure you did, Mr. Presby, but well, there must be some reasonable explanation. Now tell me, wh- where were they standing when they actually held up the bank? Well, the one who was called Jesse stood out in the center of the bank. There, oh. there, in line with the first telescope. Uh, about here, sir? Yes, yes. And the other one, Frank, collected the money. Uh, how could they get so much, Mr. Presby? Do you usually have a half a million in cash lying around? No, but we were making up some large payroll. Oh. Hey,
5: what's this? Well, what have you got, Mr. Ken? Take a look at this, Inspector.
1: Uh, what is it? piece of wax, I think. What? Yes. Do your cleaning men use wax on these floors, Mr. Presby? No, no, not that I know of. Oh? And you're sure that this Jesse James was standing right here? I said so, didn't I? Anyway, uh, why are you wasting time with trifles like that, Inspector? Listen, Jim. I'm, yes, Mr. Ma- Kennedy. I want you find to find call Perry White beans at beans City and Hall and tell now. him exactly what Mr. Presby told All us. Right, then beat it back the to the office answer, and wait sir. for me. Well, okay, but what are you going to do? A little fat checking. Wish me luck, Jim. Uh-huh.
6: Please stop that merry-go-round. You're making me dizzy. Well, I'm
1: dizzy now, Lois. Captain Kidd, Jesse James, great jump at the What's going on in this town? Well, you
6: won't find out by pacing the floor. Oh, why
1: in heaven's name doesn't Ken phone? I told him to report to me as soon as he found out anything.
6: Maybe he has nothing to report. You should have sent me. Sent you away?
1: Well, that's probably him now. Hello? Who? Now, put him on. Who is it, Chief? Yeah, it's Blaine, the fire commissioner.
2: Oh.
1: Hello, Blaine. Now, well, what can I do for you? What? Now, no, 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 wait. Calm down. Calm down, little man. What is it, Chief? The docks? What's wrong with them? Great stubborn. How did it start? Well, can you handle it all right? Chief, what's cooking? All right, all right, I'll be right down. Chief, what's the Oh, there? plenty, plenty. There's a fire at the city oil. Dump. A fire? Five barges, all fully loaded with fuel oil, are going up in smoke. Come on, come on, Lois. We've got to get down there. <laughs>
3: Uh, according to
2: report,
6: no. Piercing, what, what? What, what, look, the old pier seems Good case. What happened to Lois? Look, Chief, look. Where? Where? Out at the end of the pier. See, the smoke is lifting. Go Chief. What? What is that? Don't you recognize him? It, it's...
1: It's Nero. Nero? Yes. The Roman emperor who fiddled while Rome burned. Too surprised to move. Lois Lane, very white and the fire commissioner, can only stare in speechless fantastic figure who stands at the end of the blazing pier, feet spread wide, a white Roman toga billowing about his fat body, and a leafy garland encircling his brow as he saws away at his fiddle while flames leap and crackle around him. It is unmistakably Nero, the fabulous Roman Emperor. And now, back to the adventures of Superman! Superman! <laughs> summoned to the metropolis waterfront, where a gigantic fire, fed by thousands of gallons of oil, blazes out of control, Lois Lane and Mayor Perry White were startled when, through the billowing black smoke, they caught a glimpse of a figure easily recognizable as Nero, the long-dead Roman dictator. But as quickly as he had appeared, the smoke closed around his fat toga-clad body, and when it cleared again, he had vanished. I, I
3: don't believe it. I, I was seeing. No, chief. he was standing right out there at the end of the pier. You saw him, Commissioner Blake. Well, I, I
1: saw something.
3: Commissioner! Commissioner Blake.
1: Oh, Bailey, did you send in another
3: alarm? Uh, yes, sir. But I just got a message from the
1: fireboat out in the harbor. Well? The burning iron is floating out into the harbor with the tide. They can't stop it. Good chance. Now, let's give it a ball back through and they're all shipping up, But he can't, sir. There are two nightbreak boats out there at anchor. Nightbreak boats? Most of the people are sure. They can't get steam up
3: inside. Nightbreak. Great the the Do you realize what will happen if the fire reaches those boats? Remember what happened in Texas? Wait, Scott!
1: The nitrate will explode and Metropolis will be wiped out. Through the angry sea of flame now spreading swiftly over the placid waters of Metropolis Harbor, the two freighters can be dimly seen, idly swinging at anchor. Two ships carrying a cargo of death and destruction in their hold. How can the fire be stopped before it reaches the nitrate? And what is the explanation behind the sudden appearances of the ghosts of Captain Kidd, Jesse James, and Nero? (coughs) For the answers to some of these questions, be sure to listen to Chapter 3 of The Ghost Brigade. Tomorrow, same time, same station, on The Adventures of Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Superman DC Comic Magazine and is brought to you Monday through Friday at this same time.
0: You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman.
1: Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. (laughs) Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman, strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with amazing physical powers far beyond those of mortal men, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, wages a never-ending battle for truth and justice. Today, Superman, in his guise of Clark Kent, pursues his investigation of the Ghost Brigade as disaster again threatens the city of Metropolis. Hey, all right I just received the radio report from the fireboat fighting this blaze on the other side. Well, the skipper reports the burning oil is floating out into the harbor with the tide. No, and there are two freighters out there loaded with nitrate. Nitrate, quick, right, Caesar! If the fire reaches those freighters, the blast will wipe out the metropolis. That's right, and I'm afraid there's nothing we can do to stop it. <laughs> Gang, ever see a boomerang? Well, it's a curved or angular club quite wide at the center where it bends, but tapered down at the tips so that it's easy to grasp. Its general shape is something like the rounded corner of a picture frame. It's a mighty strange weapon used by Australian natives who throw it at their attacking enemies and handle the weapon so that it flies right back to their hands after they throw it. But very often, if they aren't careful, the boomerang bounces back and hurts them instead of the enemy. Well, boys and girls, there are some ideas that are boomerangs. Ideas that are meant to hurt others, but all too often they snap back and hurt the person who believes them. For instance... The idea that one boy or girl is better than any other for racial or religious reasons is a boom-bang idea. And those who throw that idea around are sure to be hurt by it. Here's just one example of how it works. Now, suppose you're part of a club that you hope will be very successful. Of course, you've got to have the very best kind of club members. And that means everything depends on how you pick them. Now, if you're foolish enough to keep out some boys or girls because of their religion, let's say, you may be keeping out just the very people who could make your club a success because after all, all the kids with personality and popularity don't belong to just one faith Every group has its fair share of swell guys and nasties. so if in picking club members you vote against all the boys and girls who belong to a religion or race different from your own you're bound to keeping out some of the swell guys who can make your club a really top-notch one your prejudice will boomerang and hurt you in the long run and what's more you'll deserve it so try to remember that always And now, The Adventures of Superman. Like evil reincarnations of the past, the ghosts of three famous bad men suddenly and strangely appeared in Metropolis. And each of their visits has spelled disaster. First, a man clearly identified as Captain Kidd, the bloodthirsty 17th century pirate, was seen in the central traffic control office of the Metropolis subway, claiming to have returned for a hidden cache of Spanish gold. And a few moments later, the vast underground transportation system broke down, stranding hundreds of thousands of people and paralyzing the entire city. Then a few short hours later, the Metropolis National Bank was robbed of half a million dollars in a daring raid by two men wearing black cowboy outfits with black kerchiefs masking their faces. Men the bank president himself swore could be none other than the notorious Western bandits, Jesse and Frank James. And still later, a tremendous fire broke out at the city docks, threatening the entire waterfront. Suddenly, in the midst of the flames, was seen the figure of another man out of the past. It was Nero, the emperor tyrant of long, long ago, who fiddled while the city burned. Now we join Superman, who in his guise of Clark Kent, the mild-mannered reporter, is unaware of the grave danger at the waterfront as he carries on his investigation of a strange clue he found in the Metropolis Bank. At the chemical analysis laboratory in central police headquarters, he shows the officer in charge a small piece of wax. I'd like you to check this for me, Sergeant. Analyze it and see if you can tell me what kind of wax it is, how it was used, and uh, where I could find more of it. Hmm, it's an odd color. Where'd you get it? On the floor of the Metropolis Bank. Uh, where they pulled that stick up this afternoon? Right, and here's another piece. This one was on the floor of the Subway central control office. Hey, what gives, Kent? You turn and detective. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. Don't you think it's a pretty odd coincidence, finding pieces of wax in both places? Oh, Maybe. Let's see. They're different colors. One's red and the other's black. I hey, suppose I go to work on them. Things are kind of slow. It won't take me more than an hour. Oh, good. Then I'll wait. Okay, make yourself comfortable. Take that chair by the window. Thanks. Yeah. Sounds like the fire boys are having themselves a the time today. That's the third company that's going by in the last 20 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. I hope they're not all going to the same fire. Well, they're heading downtown. Great Scott, look at that black smoke. Yeah, where? See it? That's oil smoke. Oh, yeah. Huh. Looks like around the city dock. Hey, that's an oil fire and it's going strong. I'll see you later, Sergeant. Uh, uh, where are you going? To the docks. As fast as I can. Blake. What about the fireboat? No work from it yet, sir. I'm worried about those nitrate boats. They're still swinging anchor. Is not there anything more we can do? No, i only only hoping the fireboat. And your honor, I think it would be safer for you and Miss Lane to go back. I have already sent Miss Lane back, but I'm still. But the explosion, sir. If that stuff goes off. If it does, we're all finished. Commissioner Blake. Commissioner Blake. Oh, yes,
3: Bailey. This better report from the fireboat, sir. Well, come on. Well, they can't hold fire, sir. Less than fifty feet from the freighters. The tide's running strong. They've got to get
1: out. Oh no. Well, Bailey. Bailey, order all the men in the area to lie down. Shield and shelter in the blast as much as they can. Then wait for further order. Yes, sir. Is that all you're going to do, Blaine? No, sir. I'm going to pray.
2: Harder than I've ever prayed in my life.
1: Turning very White and Commissioner Blaine stare through the billowing clouds of black smoke at the leaping tongues of flame spreading over the harbor waters. And watch in mute horror as they begin to lick at the steel hulls of the death-laden freighters. In another moment, there will be Chaos! <laughs> But unseen by anyone on shore, Superman rocketing through the choking clouds of smoke spots an danger. Great Scott, this is serious. There's no time to beat that fire back now. There's only one thing left to do. Down, down. <laughs> down, Superman reaches the bow of the nearest freighter, lifts the heavy anchor, holding it clear out of the water, and then leaping to the next ship, j- duplicates his feet. Working with almost blinding speed, he ties the heavy anchor chains into a knot, and, looping it around his waist, dives into the water. Then, calling on his superhuman strength, he tows the heavy craft out of danger.
5: But, but what happened, Mr. White? Cheapers, those freighters couldn't have moved themselves. Well, no, that's
1: what it looked like, Jim. It was an amazing sight. They finally stopped out in the bay. When the Coast Guard boat caught up to them, they were drifting at anchor again and nothing had happened. I
5: bet I know what happened. Oh,
1: no, you do, do you? I
5: bet you anything Superman had a hand. Superman? Sure, who else?
1: Well, maybe you're right. So the whole city owes him a vote of thanks.
5: But, Mr. White, what about that man you saw on the end of the dock? You said it was Nero, the old Roman
1: Emperor. Well, that's who
5: he looked like. But he's dead. He's been for hundreds of years. Great Caesar, don't you think I know that?
1: Captain Kidd is dead too, and Jesse James, and they were seen. Jimmy, do you know where the chief is? Wait. Uh, well, who do you think I am? King Tut. Oh, sorry, I didn't see you. Well, obviously. Now, where've you been? Looking for you. I went all the way down to City Hall. It's the usual practice for an editor to visit his own paper once in a while. Okay, chief. Okay. Now, do you mind explaining where you've been and what you've been doing all afternoon? I will in a minute, but I think you'd better take a look at this first. What? A special evening extra of the Daily Blade. Ha! The Blade. Since when is there anything worth seeing in that yellow rag? Since right now. Take a look. Oh, all right. Let's see it. All the trouble I have on my hands now, I don't see why I have... It's suffering sassafras. I thought so. What is it, Mr. King?
3: I, uh, I'll sue them. I'll sue them. That's what I'll do. Uh, wait a minute.
1: E- e- Slander. E- a headline on the front page of the Blade, Jim. A headline putting the blame for everything that happened in Metropolis today on Mayor Perry White. <laughs> Wide-eyed with amazement, Jimmy races around the corner of the desk and stares over Perry White's shoulder as he spreads the copy of the Daily Blade Wide. In bold, black print, the headline shrieks,
5: Perry White responsible for civic disorder.
1: Why has the Daily Blade unleashed this sudden attack? Can the paper possibly prove its charges? And now, back to the adventures of Superman! <laughs> it is later the same evening. On an only stretch of highway leading into Metropolis, a huge truck roars through the darkness. In the cabin, the driver yawns, checks his watch... Then turns to his helper, nodding on the seat beside him. Uh, 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 Another half hour and we'll hit the city line, Bill. Good. I'm beat. Working a double shift is too much for me. Yeah, you can say that again. But we'll get paid double time. Well, that's some help. We must be in a pretty valuable load for them to rush us through like this. Yeah, we are. The spedger back at Galesburg said they needed the stuff in Metropolis pretty bad. Hey, he's off. Something on the road. Huh? It's a guy standing out there waving a flashlight. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see the parking lights of a car off to the side. Hey, he must be in trouble. Going to stop? Well, this is a pretty lonely stretch. Might not be another car long for some time. Yeah, sure, let's give the guy a hand. Okay. I hope it ain't a flat tire. I don't feel like crawling around on... Hey. Huh? What happened to him? Oh, I don't...
3: Oh, something, cabbage, what's that? I don't know. Oh, 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 my God. What's it? A... Wait, an arrow. Holy, oh, hey, Bill. Bill, I must be going crazy oh. or something. Wait, look. We're being attacked by Indians.
1: In the brilliant glare of the truck, headlights menacing figures run and dance wildly. And the two truckmen cower back, unable to believe their eyes. Or the wildly gesturing men are clothed in breech clothes. They wear feathered headdresses and their bronze-colored skin is painted in garish colors. There can be no mistake. They are Indians. But where did they come from? What are Indians in full war paint, armed with bows and arrows, doing on a modern highway? We'll know tomorrow, gang, so be sure to hear episode four of the Ghost Brigade on The Adventures of Superman. (laughs) Superman! Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Superman DC Comics Magazine and is brought to you Monday through Friday at the same time. Watch for the Superman adventure serial soon to be shown at your local movie theater.
0: Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes.